This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Good day, everyone. Now, Thomas, today on the show, I'm asking the question that I think a lot of people are asking this week, and that is, what the hell are bond yields, and what have they done with my stonks? <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> this is a question on everybody's list. It is. <laughs> um, things were just ticking along nicely. Everyone had some investments. We all thought we were like we were going well. Shares were going up. Last week we were talking about how the economy was booming. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> out of nowhere, along came this thing called bond yields and the share market tanked. And <laughs> it's just like some like I don't know. I think there'd be a lot of investors out there, a lot of newbie investors especially, just going, What the hell are bond yields? Yeah, well, we actually saw that in the the Google stats. There was a spike for for bond yields <laughs> at the end, end of, of Friday. Was it a direct correlation with the bond yield price going up? Is, is it correlated with the Google search re- hits for uh, bond yields? Yeah, bond yields caused that too. It's <laughs> <laughs> causing havoc out there. Because it's like, it, if, I mean, you know, I have probably only been investing for maybe six to 12 months. You think you know how things work, like you're feeling pretty good about stuff, especially in this this bull market that we've been in where it's just like, I'll just buy some of this. I've done my research, which consisted of probably some Google searches, buy some of this stock, done my research and hey presto, it, it's been going up and all of a sudden along come bond yields and everyone's like, no one told me about bond yields. I just thought we, I thought the way the share market worked was we all bought some stocks. <laughs> if we wanted to make a lot of money, we'd buy some slightly risky ones. <laughs> if we wanted to just kind of track along nicely, then we bought things like ETFs. But regardless of what we bought, it all just kind of was ticking along, and now it's not. It's just it's all all gone south. Yeah, it's, yeah, wake up call for, for newbie investors. <laughs> I actually got a, my favorite quote was from a mate of mine who sent me a message. He's like, man, what's happening with the share market? I've gone from thinking I'm Bezos to that guy waiting for the pokies to open at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Which I reckon would be common. Like, there'll be a lot of people out there. G'day to Ollie, by the way. Uh, a lot of people out there um, that are, are a bit confused. So hopefully we can, we can shed some light on that. 
this week and hopefully you can explain to the rest of us to us lay people um what's happened to all our, our, our stock market we are recording on monday the first of march and today did see a bit of a rebound can we call it a rebound in the economy it's it's back on track so that's a good thing yeah back up yeah back up two percent yeah fair fair chunk of the fair chunk of what we lost on friday hmm. suck on that bond yields you got nothing. <laughs> Still don't know where they are. Um, all right. Well, before we get started talking about bond yields, we did have a couple of listener questions come in during the week, which I wanted to to get your thoughts on. Um, and in fact, what I'd really like to do here is because I feel like I'm gradually learning more and more, but I'm mm. not really having to to test my knowledge at any point. So what I thought we might do is maybe I'll have a crack at the listener questions. And then mm-hmm. you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, and you can uh, you can tell our listeners whether or whether you know, or you can give them the actual answer that they're probably after. <laughs> no, that's, that's easy. Yeah, we'll flood the airways with nonsense for a bit, and then come come in and clean it up. You might be surprised. I might nail it. You never know. You might. Yeah. All right, so first question comes from Adrian. Adrian's asking about his hex debt, which is now called the Higher Education Loan Program or HELP, which. Come on, that can't be serious, is it? Is that what it's called now? Yeah, yeah. I think you're showing your age there, but I think it's been help for 10 years or something, <laughs> maybe more. Help. Here you go. Here's some debt before you've started earning. Yeah. Anything else we can help with? <laughs> no, thanks, Zoidberg. That's, 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 all, that's all I need for now. Yeah, a helping hand from people who paid $0 yeah. for their <laughs> university degree. Uh, well, Adrian's asking... Um, so he's noticed that he's being whacked with a 1.8% indexing uh, charge each financial year. And that started while he was at university and not eligible to repay the debt. It did drop from one9 to 1.8% in 2018-2019, but hasn't budged since 2019. So his question is, why is the rate 1.8% despite interest rates being so low? He's asking, what metrics does the government calculate this indexing on? Well... Adrian, I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that 1.8% is not a bad rate, to be honest. If that was my home loan rate, then 1.8%, I'm, I'm taking that every day of the week. So I think as far as loans go, that's pretty competitive. I don't know. <laughs> the only question I have is, can Adrian shop his help debt around and get a better deal? <laughs> Thomas, your thoughts. Yeah, okay. Uh four. <laughs> um uh okay, so it's it's indexed to inflation. So the one point eight is I think would be the, the CPI measure for that financial year. Right. So yeah, the debt is indexed to inflation, so it goes up by inflation. And what that means is that its purchasing power remains constant mm. through time because it's indexed to inflation. If it wasn't indexed to inflation, it would be the same amount and the, the economy prices in the economy would keep going up, which mean, means that that debt would become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And so just to keep that rate, what the real value, what we call real, so after inflation, keep the real value of the debt constant, it gets indexed to the CPI, indexed to inflation, which is what that 1.8% is. And that's so that's how we make things real and stop the sort of the purchasing power degrading over time of the debt. So pretty much what I said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> apart from 
A bit about shopping it around, yeah. It's, it's not really connected to interest rates. That's not right. But the, I mean, by saying that, I mean, what you can think about is all interest rates have a nominal and a real component. So, um, what if, what you can think of as one point eight percent is a real interest rate of zero percent plus one point eight percent for inflation. And all interest rates you're paying in the economy have that component to them. They have the real rate of interest plus something for inflation. Mm. So that you're, like your home loan or whatever, at 2.5%, what, what that's saying is that the real rate on the interest rate is 0.7% plus 1.8% for inflation. Right. Because the, the, the lenders need to cover themselves. They need to get a, a return for the risk that they're taking, and that's in the real component. And they need to cover the inflation and make sure they're not losing money on the their, on a purchasing power basis. So they have inflation baked in plus the the real rate of return, which is why the increase in bond yields is is interesting because that keys into this. But maybe we'll, we'll yeah come, we'll park that for a minute. Hopefully that. that's hopefully that's answered Adrian's question. He probably still not going to feel any better about having to pay that one point eight percent, but. At least you might know what it is. Um, don't forget, you can, of course, email us uh, cve at, at equitymates.com or head over to the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. We had another email from Kieran and Kieran was asking about, um, he said, can you explain the negative effects of letting the Australian dollar rise against the USD, against the US dollar? So um, this one, this is my wheelhouse, Tom. This is easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, stop me if I'm wrong, but it makes Australia more expensive, right? It makes Australia more expensive to the rest of the world. So therefore, it becomes hard for us to sell things. It becomes hard for us to attract foreign money into Australia. It becomes hard for, not that it's a big issue at the moment, but for people wanting to travel here, they can't get as much for their money when they come visiting. So, so that's really the main, the main negative of the Australian dollar rising is it's going to stop money coming in. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say, yeah. No, that's, that's pretty much right. I don't know about the money coming in. But yeah, it makes, it makes our exports more expensive. Mm. It makes it harder. Probably the, there's, a, there's another thing we haven't really talked about on the show yet is that when it makes imports cheaper um, and imports are a cost of production which, and that feeds through into inflation. Mm. So an appreciating Aussie dollar makes imports cheaper which makes goods in the domestic economy cheaper which makes inflation lower and we're in a situation right now where we're underneath the rba's target band for inflation we're at 1.8 percent as we just covered mm. the rba's target band is two to three percent over the business cycle so they want to be two to three percent so they want more inflation so if the uh, an appreciating aussie dollar works against that and gets in the way of their inflation target of them hitting their inflation target so that's one of the reasons that's the other side of the coin we don't really talk about that so much but it's mm. something that the rba is concerned about like a massive expansion in the appreciation in the aussie dollar makes it much harder to hit their inflation target yeah right there you go uh final one from a different adrian this time but adrian again uh now he's been reading which is always dangerous i say adrian you'll be careful mm. He's confused about a comment he read in an article regarding house prices, and he's provided the quote, ANZ senior economist Felicity Emmett said removing stimulus packages, including job seeker, job keeper, and home builder, could cause a surprise surge in house prices. Uh, he thought that increasing spending and stimulus in the economy, 
heats up the economy, increases the potential for inflation on restricted assets, which I think housing is, uh, or at least increases demand and therefore prices. How will withdrawing these stimulus policies create an increase in house prices? Has Felicity gone rogue? Adrian asks, hoping you can help demystify this for me. Um, Not pulling any punches, Adrian. No, well, simple answer, uh, Adrian, is yes, Felicity has gone rogue. She's gone completely off script. <laughs> She's just out there improvising and winging it now, and I, I just hope we can rein her back in before she does some permanent damage. So I think <laughs> you've, you've nailed it, Adrian, and that's probably all we need to say about it. <laughs> Thomas, thoughts? <laughs> yes. Uh, I think uh, the, the line of thinking you got there, Adrian, I think is right. I. You, it's it's a bit of a convoluted argument that Emmett's making here. I, I don't I find it hard to follow. What she's sort of saying is, if you keep interest rates low, um, that stimulates the housing sector. If you pull away the support, that that um, thumps the real economy, and then you get an imbalanced economy, which somehow causes house prices to surge. They didn't. Maybe they just didn't report that. Mm. But I mean, in the con- you got to remember the context. She was speaking at the Urban Developers. Australian Property Development Outlook Summit, mm. uh, which, as I understand it, is a shameless spruik for the construction <laughs> industry, <laughs> um, and so they were just they don't they don't want home builder to be wound up, so they just they trotted out an economist to make some convoluted argument, whoa, which is how whoa. the real world world works, kids. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> Thomas pulling no punches either. It would seem on comedian versus economist. Uh, all right. Um, very good. Well, tell you what, why don't we pause here and get a quick break, maybe a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back and we'll talk all about bond yields and what they did to the share market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist, and we're talking bond yields, Thomas. First of all, what are bond yields? So, yeah, a bond yield is the return on that you're getting on your bond. So a bond is a fixed interest uh, instrument. So the government lends out, you know, money. So maybe you, you create a bond for $100, uh, and they say, you lend us $100 and we'll pay you 2% a year for five years, and at the end of five years we'll give you $100 back. Right, so it's always for a fixed term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, you have to you have to set that term up front. You have to go. It's for five years or ten yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Normally, I think it's like five, three, ten, and twenty and thirty or something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. 
pretty reg- pretty regular terms. All right. And so last week we were talking about the economy booming. You you you, know, you listed off ten reasons why the economy was set to boom. So, and I noticed this is playing out in both America and in Australia, um, or it may be Australia's is following America, which it seems to do. From my extensive experience in the share market, um, tends to just follow on. But are bond are increasing bond yields. Are they a reflection of that that booming share market or that booming economy? Sorry. Yes, but not super directly. It's it's a reflection of largely the increase in bond yields was driven by um, the inflation outlook, mm. by the market starting to rethink the outlook for inflation and thinking that there might be more inflation coming than they, than had been priced in. So you remember um, what we're talking about with with interest rates, so how like there's a real rate and a nominal rate on top. If you know, so Adrian was it was it Adrian with the with the help debt? Yeah, yeah. Adrian, he's, yep. he's got it. He's got his one point eight percent. So that's all inflation. So if inflation went up, it's zero plus the one point eight. Mm. Now, if if people thought the inflation is going to be more like two point five percent, then it would go up to two point five. It'd be zero plus two point five. Does that make sense? Mm. I was hoping you wouldn't come back to the nominal interest rate and the real interest rate stuff because I didn't really understand it when you were talking about it before. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of just for I assumed Adrian was was listening and making sense of what you were saying. I largely tuned out. For <laughs> <laughs> I did see you grab your phone. <laughs> for large portions of the nominal interest rate. Um, explanation. Yeah, so so basically, if investors are thinking that inflation is going to be higher than they thought, then for the same bond price, they need a they need a bigger return. Right. Okay. So that so that increases the yields because of the risk. Because well, they, they want to be covered for inflation. Otherwise, they're you know if inflation. So it's saying like yeah, we want. We think, you know, because it's over three, five, and ten years. So the main action in Australia is the five-year one that gets most commonly charted. But, right. you know, so sort of like what's the outlook for inflation over the next five years? You need to take it, take a bit of a punt at that and think about that and then come up with a rate that has you covered, that you're not going to be losing money. You were saying before, the RBA doesn't make any, any bones about it. They don't make any secrets about it. They're trying to get inflation up. So they're, they're saying their inflation target, inflation target is 2 to 3%. Well, if it's at, if it's at 1.8 now... It's definitely going to go up, so it has to be. Yeah, you'd think so, but well, maybe not definitely. But I guess if they're in control of it, it's well, that's right. Then, but they're not in control of it. They've undershot their target for for I don't know five six years now. <laughs> no, no performance bonus for the RBA. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so it's, it's it's more of an aspirational target, and they're saying they'd like to get it back there if they could, but mm. they they haven't been able to do it, and that's because they've only really got one tool to work with, and there's a whole bunch of other factors that are constraining it, but. Naming a target, an inflation target, and hitting it are quite different things. Yeah, right. That's what we're finding. And and so no one's – and so particularly out of COVID, no one, you know, there's like, yeah, yeah, sure, 2 3%, whatever. Mm. It's probably, you know, going to be much lower than that and central banks are going to really struggle to get inflation up. Yeah, so until until recently, no one sort of thought inflation was coming. No one thought the central banks are going to be able to hit their targets. But – They're just starting to think like, oh, maybe, maybe they will. Maybe there is a there is a sort of inflation impulse coming through the economy. Right, and so I'm just trying to get my head around these bond yields. So the the bond yields then they're kind of they're they're advertised at a at a rate that people can buy them buy them at for that five like the five year bond yield has a 
an advertised price and is that what was going up or is it kind of a supply and demand type thing as more people bought the bonds then that pushes the price up or is it the forecasting that's going up oh none of the above <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> so i thought i had some really good so, words in that question i thought there was like yeah, oh yeah there was there was a lot of yeah words in there yeah, no you had all the words yeah. they just weren't in the right order <laughs> No, so yields, you, you think about yields in the same sense of like property yields is maybe like something that people get their mm. head around a little easier. So, you know, the property has a price. It has the amount of rent that it generates each year and then put those two in a ratio, you get the yield, mm. which is the, the return. Now, you've got, so you've got two elements of that. So either if the return goes up, then the yield can go up or if the price goes down, then the yield can go yep. up. Does that make sense? Because we're talking about a ratio. What sort of seemed to happen in the US is that the government went went to issue a bunch of bonds and people went, yeah, no, we're not really wanting them right now. And it wasn't a particularly successful auction. Demand was low, therefore the price was low. And because the price was low, the yield went up. Does that make sense? I was with you. Yes, I was with you up 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 until you said that the price went down. Like I was, I was expecting it to go up mm. because if the demand was low, that says to me that the the price was wrong on the the bonds. So then they'd have to put the return up a bit. Oh, we're not talking about the we're talking about the price of the bond, not the return on the bond. It's it's a little yeah. We're in we're in yeah we're in intermediate finance territory here. <laughs> I mean, even just getting your head around the way the 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 prices and the yields that sort of ratio works. Because it's sort of when we're talking about yields, we're looking at the end result of that ratio. So it's not it's not normally something you consider. <laughs> All right, it, if the bond was a potato, <laughs> <laughs> look, I've got two potatoes. Got two potatoes. <laughs> All right, let's bring it up. Let's bring it up a bit then. I don't. I feel like I'm struggling with enough information to even ask good questions at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologise out there to the listeners if if maybe you're sitting there yelling at your at your earbuds as you're out for your walk, thinking I've got half an hour in the middle of the day. <laughs> I'm really just keen to hear about bond yields, and Adam doesn't even understand the question. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it's, uh, anyway. it's complex. Let's let's zoom out a little bit. So you used to you used to think about bonds sort of being the inverse of stocks mm. that. When stocks were going up, bonds were going down. So in a risk-on environment where it's like growth happening, everyone wants to get into stocks, Mm. they're selling out of their bonds, which are like bonds are risk-free because they're coming from the government. You know you're going to get your money back. You know what you're going to get on the the bond. They're safe. Yeah, they're safe. There's almost zero risk. And so in a risk-on environment where everyone's like, let's get into the share market, it's all happening, Mm. people are selling their bonds and getting into the share market. You know, so... Share markets are going up, bonds are going down. It's the price we're talking about here. And so they're kind of inverse. In a risk-off environment where there's like, oh, things are getting a bit dodgy, I want to get out of shares, people start retreating to safe options and they go to bonds. Right. And so the, the classic theory was that these two would work in inverse to each other. So one of the challenges as an investor is you have your portfolio allocation. So you've got you know what what are what are you exposed to are you exposed to domestic shares international shares bonds commodities cryptocurrencies whatever that all of that mix that's called a portfolio mm. so there's a theory for a while about lazy portfolio allocations they're saying like you know as a punter investor you shouldn't be trying to read the economy and 
deciding your portfolio and allocation in real time. You're much better taking a lazy portfolio approach and going like, I'm just going to go with this. You're going to have 20% in domestic shares, 15% in international shares, 10% right. commodities, whatever it is, and just and just locking for it, rebalancing each year, yeah. but just saying this is the mix I'm going for. I just went, I went lazy. I went just Tesla and Afterpay and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Diversified across countries. <laughs> I thought I've got an even spread. I've got some US, some yeah. Australian killer companies. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Yeah. So the, the first lazy portfolio was uh, Rick Ferry's two, two portfolio mix, I think it was called. Yeah. And basically, it was you, the idea was you have 60% shares, mm. 40% bonds. Right. Wow. So when, when in a risk-off environment, the bonds would have you covered and you wouldn't lose, you know, it wouldn't be a disaster. Mm. In a risk-on environment, bonds go down, but the shares are going up, so happy days. And so it, that was sort of the way to balance it. What happened, though, was like that, that held for like a genera- generations that worked mm. until quantitative easing kicked in around 2008. From that point on rather than being inversely correlated, they became correlated so that shares and bonds would go up together and shares and bonds would go down together. Right. And so it got a bit confusing. Yeah. And, and even now, even now, like with, with this story, bond yields cause share prices to fall. Mm. That's two ends of a chain that has a number of causal effects between here and there. It's not as simple. There's no logical, well, that's not to say. There are a few reasons why rising bond prices can cause share prices to fall. There's three that are worth considering. Mm. The first is that because it's a risk-free rate effectively, it's the benchmark interest rate in the economy. And so if that goes up, then all other interest rates in the economy go up as well. Right. And so if for corporates with debt, most corporates have debt, that means their debt burdens go up, that eats into their cash flow, which can affect their profits, which therefore theoretically can affect their share price. That's one transmission mechanism. But, you know, debt levels aren't crazy high. It's not, you know, it's not such, not such a drama. The second reason is the way that you calculate the value of share. So theoretically, you, you know, the share entitles you to a future income stream from the company in the way of dividends. It, it entitles you to a share of all their future profits. How much you value that future stream depends on how much you value money today versus money tomorrow mm. and money in the future. And that's called the discount rate. And the interest rate has a huge impact on the discount rate. Yeah, if interest rates go up, then you value money more today than you do in the future. And so you, you value the future income stream less, which means you value the share of the company less. But wouldn't but doesn't inflation have a role to play there too? Like isn't like in that in that equation, you, you know, the the value of money is going to be higher or your value of money today is going to be lower than it is if inflation is at three percent as opposed to if it stays around one and a half? Yeah, all other things being equal. So assuming the inflation outlook is the same, Mm. higher interest rates mean lower share prices because you're you're discounting the future more. Right, yep, cool. Um, But I don't think any of that really matters. I think what the real story is that we've got super cheap money right now. The Fed's printing hand over fist. Congress is spending hand over fist. RBA here is printing a lot of money. Treasury's spending a lot of money. And so you're talking about it. Mm money gushing into the economy in quite an unprecedented way and quantum and quite an unprecedented rate. 
you know, in the general vibe in the share market is like, this is amazing. It's going to be awesome for companies. Money supplies through the roof. You know, everyone's going to have heaps of money to spend. Sales are going to be up. Revenue is going to be up. Profits are going to be up. Therefore, share prices are going to be up. Mm. And so a lot of it comes off this easy money reality. So, but what happens though, is that when the market readjusts its expectations for inflation, it creates a potential trigger that if inflation looks like it's on a trajectory to break through the bands of the central bank. So the central banks are targeting a particular rate, mm. two to 3% in Australia. If it looks, if the market starts to think like, hang on, we've got, there's an inflation shock coming through the system. We're going to just bust straight on through our target band and inflation's going to be a lot larger than we're expecting. That potentially triggers the RBA raising interest rates right. and starting to, to tighten monetary conditions. And so what the rise in bond yields reflected was a fear that inflation was starting to take hold and, and potentially get away from us and that that in turn might cause the central banks and the governments to start reining in all the money that's been promised and all the money that had been supporting the outlook for shares. I think what happens is people start looking at, you know, the, particularly when we're talking about tech stocks and tech stocks got hit the hardest on Friday – Tech stocks, the valuations are, you know, bumping. The, the, mm. the earnings per share projections are, are awesome. Like they're talking about the best of times because it's built on super cheap money. But if there's a danger that that super cheap money is going to be taken away, then you're looking at like, well, maybe this isn't the best of times. Maybe Tesla is just a, just a good company, not like a super amazing mm. company. And maybe, you know, maybe we've overpaid because all this money that we've been promised isn't going to come and isn't going to juice the economy in the way that we thought it did, or thought it was going to. And so that's that, I think that's, that's the transmission mechanism that happened is that the fear that inflation was taking hold, which was reflected in the bond prices, but is kind of that's just one manifestation of it. The real core issue was this increasing expectation that inflation was going to happen. That caused people to think maybe there was going to be less money coming into the system, which then meant that they start looking at the outlook for shares and go like, oh, maybe it's not as awesome as we thought it was going to be. Interesting. So I hope you're uh, following along at home, wherever you're listening to this. Um, there's a lot to take in there. One thing that I did pick up on, though, and I think we've talked about this before, is I thought if we were looking at inflation and heightened levels of inflation then you didn't want to be holding cash you wanted to be invested in things that were going to perform like i thought <laughs> this might have been my mistake in hindsight but i thought we should buy stocks <laughs> because i thought that was the place you wanted to have your money if inflation started getting out of control because you didn't want to have it in cash you didn't want to be left holding a cash baby when inflation took hold because it, you, you, your money would be worth a lot less than what you thought it was going to be. But you're saying everyone's worried about inflation going up and that's why the, the bond yield is going up and therefore the share price of most companies was going down because everyone was worried about inflation. I thought people would stick their money into, into the share market if they thought inflation was going to go high. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's mostly right. I mean, it's a little bit unconventional to think of stocks as a hedge against inflation. That's, that's not... <laughs> well, you know me, Tom. I, not, yeah. Fast and loose. <laughs> yeah. 
I like to just make my decisions based on some of the information. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, this, this is right. This is right. Like it's, it's a good news story. And this is the perverse world that quantitative easing has created. Good news is bad news. So it's normally good news that we're talking about an economy ramping up, activities happening, you know, that's causing inflation. That's one of the byproducts of an, of an economic activity coming to life and running a bit hot. So even in a high, you know, with inflation picking up, we're still talking about an outlook for companies that is bumper, you know, it should be really good. Right. The other thing that happens is that we're talking about less money, because less crisis response, because we're no longer in a crisis. Mm. And that means less money, you know, being injected through governments into the system. And that's bad for share prices because people think it's, there's not as much money now. So even though real, the real economy is supporting share prices, the government money story is not supporting share prices. And it's how those balance out. And, and what we're seeing is that a lot of current valuations are based on, you know, the promise of super cheap, easy money. And that's obvious, right? Like we had a global pandemic, smash GDP across the world, and the share market's hitting all-time highs. It's not on the back of the real economy. It's on the back of promised super cheap money. So is it a, is it a bubble? Is that what you're saying? Like is it, is it all these tech stocks and all these companies that have, that have done really well over the, the last 6, 12 months? You know, after after March 2020, are we saying it's a bubble that now this is some big correction that's happening? Um, there's a lot of people shouting "buy the dip," <laughs> which which I love. I'm all for a catchphrase <laughs> for my making my investment decisions. But are we in a bubble? Uh, I don't I, I don't think so. I mean, you, you never know. You never know until without the benefit of hindsight. Mm. But like I think, like I think there is an argument to make that valuations are rational based on the outlook for the expansion of the money supply. Like you think about the US M two broad money measure, that's gone from one trillion pre COVID to four trillion now. What's that? What What is the broad money measure? Uh, it's like it, it's money. It's currency plus deposits right. and uh, something else. Oh, okay. So the, the amount of money that's going around. Yeah, right. amount of money in the yeah, economy. Okay. You know, so it's gone from one trillion to four trillion yeah. in twelve months. Okay. You know, so it's a massive expansion in the money supply. We didn't see that in the GFC right. because we didn't have the Fed's money printing cycled through Congress in the form of fiscal spending. We didn't see it in Australia because we didn't even have money printing then. Right. Um, but this time we've got both, and so we've got an expansion in the money supply in Australia too. Right, and all of and that's so gone that's, into the economy and then gone into the share markets and gone well. It wasn't going into bonds, was it? Because the bond yield was so low. Is that fair to say? It's because because yeah. you talk about the ratio yeah. and the balance and the the yin and yang of um, of bonds and shares. It was true, wasn't it? That during COVID, shares went up and bond yields went right down. Like I remember, I remember going to see a financial advisor for. <laughs> Didn't actually end up going with them and paying for the actual advice. Just went and saw them and they said, we think we probably should, you should put a lot of money in bonds. And I was like, ah, it sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was going to be like a 10-year bond thing and it was going to return, I don't know, whatever it was. I thought that, that doesn't sound very interesting. But I'm glad I didn't because uh, during COVID, like all of a sudden these bonds were worthless and shares were going up. 
Yeah, which is not which is not what you expect. You know, and, and that's the thing, like that that old rule, like that that two fun portfolio mix, that lazy portfolio is a disaster right mm. now. Like bonds don't protect you in the way that they used to. Right. So um, and we, we, we need to rethink bond, bonds. I think everyone sort of thinks thinks bonds. I mean, yes, they are safe, mm. but, um, you know, but they also have a they also have a price and they, that price can go up and down. So it's like, yeah, it's not just, you know, they, there's a guaranteed return, but the, the price, if you had to sell them, that fluctuates with the market. Mm. Um, yeah. So in the quantitative easing era that kicked off after the global financial crisis, the relationship between bonds and stocks has has changed and we've now got something that's quite different. Right. All right. There's a lot to digest there. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Hopefully, you're listening at home got something out of it. Did you have something you wanted to add there? Oh, and I was just going to say, hit us up with any questions if you've, if you've got. I think I'm going, I'm going on the AusBiz uh, show with the Equity Mates boys tomorrow to talk a little bit more about it. Maybe we'll tick off a bit more there. But, um, yeah. If you've got any questions, hit us up. Catch Thomas on AusBiz, uh, the Equity Mates show on AusBiz. Uh, find it on uh, on the Google if you, if you need it. I don't have the address for it right now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, and as Thomas said, hit us up with any questions. Um, I, think there should, there, I think there'll be a few, to be honest. Um, if anyone's making as much out of it as what I am, I think I've still got a few questions, but uh, we're probably running out of time for this week. So, Send us an email. And look, it's also okay because you know, I read a lot this week and it's not, there's, it's not a clear reason why bond yields and stock prices are connected. There's no mathematical formula that connects the two. Mm. It's just that it reflects underlying conditions in the market and there's a lot of people who don't really get it. Right. And don't stress too much about it if you don't. We're into sort of intermediate finance territory here a bit. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, you were talking to the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> 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 we break that fourth wall um yeah absolutely so um send us an email cve at equitymates.com or equitymates.com forward slash cve you'll find a, a contact form there that you can use to get in touch um i did do my best to attempt to answer some of the questions this week i don't even think i'm going to attempt to answer any questions on how bond yields work uh but please send them through and uh, and thomas can uh, Thomas can can get onto them for you. Uh, also, don't forget, there's a bunch of podcasts now that are coming out through Equity Mates. We've got the new one, uh, Meet Pay Love, which is uh, really fascinating, interesting chat about uh, finances and managing your money in relationships. Which is um, those guys are doing some amazing work, the girls, I should say. Uh, and of course, Equity Mates uh, investing podcast. Find it all at equitymates.com. So, thanks again for listening, Thomas. Did you have anything else you wanted to add this week? No, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Very polite. You're welcome. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time on Comedian versus Economist. See you later. This podcast proudly brought to you by Equitymates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you.